Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 308. Our storytelling topic today is Walt Disney and aviation. Oh, okay. But before we get into that, we do want to mention that our travel agent sponsor and friend, Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations, can help you with really all of your travel needs. We've used her. We've worked with her. We can attest to the fact that she's a great asset to have when you are planning your trip. She will work within your budget constraints to plan and construct the best vacations that you get to do everything on your list. She puts together personalized itineraries. And there is so much coming up in the parks right now. Cooler weather, the 50th, Christmas, Halloween. And then even beyond that, so if you have something that you've been eyeing, now might be the perfect time to reach out to her by going to littlebitofdisney.com, or you can just click the link in our show notes to be connected with her. So today we are testing out a new format, and longtime listeners will know we kind of switch things up over time as we find new things that work and new things that we're interested in. And we've been on this storytelling kick for quite some time And you can probably tell based on the format of how these conversations are constructed that we both do the research and we kind of do it together along the lines. And you may have listened to other podcasts that are talking about historical things or discussing topics where maybe one of the hosts is presenting to the other. We thought that might be an interesting tactic for us to use because... When two people are working on it, it's sometimes hard to put together a full thought. You kind of have blind spots on, you know, for example, I would do the history and Catherine would do the storytelling part. And piecing it together and just having one person work on it, I think, makes it a more streamlined and you can pull on levers of storytelling that you couldn't otherwise do. So today, our first crack at this, Catherine has no idea what we're going to be talking about. This is like your raw reaction, but I think it also forces me as a storyteller to make sure that things make sense and that I'm covering all the bases and making sure that we're putting together full thoughts. And I think that's just going to be beneficial to the listener. Brendan, so I was out of town for the weekend and Brendan came up with this idea and he pitched it to me as soon as he picked me up from the airport and it was intriguing I will say I'm very interested in just how this is going to work. I'm the kind of person who likes a very strict agenda, and this is definitely more free-flowing. I hope that my reactions (laughs) work out. They should. I'm not too worried about it. But I do think it'll be interesting to, instead of necessarily looking at attractions or a specific restaurant through a storytelling lens, These are just different, you know, maybe fun facts or events or little pieces of history that we haven't really had the opportunity to talk about yet. Brendan was texting me all day just telling me that he found great stuff. And of course, that piqued my interest. And even as we sat down to record this, like he said, I have no clue what the story is going to be or I mean, now I know as much as you guys do that this is going to be about Walt Disney and aviation, but that's all I know. And like you kind of said, I think this allows us to get more obscure. It allows us to get very, very specific and talk about specific stories or specific instances and kind of narrow down in on things and just talk about what we want to. So. Walt Disney and aviation. There was a popular story that broke over the weekend that kind of sparked this for me. There's a Twitter user named BioReconstruct, and he takes aerial photography. I don't know if he's a pilot or how he gets these pictures. I don't think it's drone footage. I think he's actually taking them with a picture. But anyway, 
He's an aerial photographer, and he posted this picture of Walt Disney's private plane that's in a backstage area at Walt Disney World. And like the Walt Disney, we're talking the man, like his old school private plane. Correct. Somewhere here in Disney World or Disneyland? Disney World. It's in Orlando. Okay. I'll, we'll talk about the specific location of where it's located in just a second. But the picture that he posted, I guess I'm assuming it's a he. Could be a she or could be... The account holder. The account holder posted... This picture, and it's showing that the plane is covered with a tarp or a cover or something in this backstage area, and the tail has been exposed. So they were bringing up the point of saying, you know, they tagged Walt Disney World Guest Services and said, hey, just so you know, the tail is exposed on Walt's plane, so it could be subject to water damage. Like, if you were trying to cover it up to protect it from the elements, then maybe the wind blew it off or something happened. And so all of this kind of sparked... And I remember this plane, and when I mention kind of where it's gone throughout its life, I'll be interested to see where you remember seeing it in the past. And I just wanted to learn more about the history of this and with Walt Disney and aviation, and particularly with the private jets or private planes that the Walt Disney Company has had over the years. My biggest question right now is why would Walt Disney's plane I, this has to be a very important historical item. You know, he has a whole museum, warehouses full of props and cool things. Why is a plane under a tarp? Surely they have a whole hangar that they could put this bad boy in. I'm assuming it's still a pretty small plane because it's probably decently old. It's probably not like the private planes that we have today. It's not like a Kardashian kind of plane. I want to say it could sit the pilots, a pilot, a co-pilot, and then 12 to 16 people is normally the numbers that I saw. So it's not tiny. It's not a puddle jumper by any means. And it's a, it is transit, well, transcontinental, I guess that's the word. I was going to say transatlantic. It's not that. It couldn't go to other continents. But it could go from like New York to California. Correct. Okay. Which would make sense to go from California to Florida. At least. And that's kind of the question I had is, how is it here? Like, what, why? There's got to be, like like you said, there's got to be a better purpose that it could be serving somewhere else. So I I take it that that's what your story is about? Yes. And hopefully we'll kind of talk about the life of this plane and aviation in general, and we'll all have a better understanding of some of the little snippets and stories that go into this. And then we'll pose a question at the end that we can discuss. Are you going to talk about the cinematic feature planes in this? I am not going to talk about, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score of planes is? (laughs) That's what I'm going to look up right now. I'm going to give it a 42. Let's see. Is it out of 100, right? Loading. Yep. Out of 100. There's the tomato meter and the audience score. Tomato meter is a 25%. Oh, I was trying to be optimistic. The audience score is a 49%. Okay, so I'm kind of right in the middle. I can honestly say I've never seen Planes. Planes 2 Rotten Tomatoes, which I didn't know until it was called Planes Fire and Rescue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A little bit better, 44% on the tomato meter and 56% audience score. So next time someone asks, what's a better sequel than the original, Planes, Fire, and Rescue might be the correct answer to that one. I don't know, though, why they would make a sequel if the first one wasn't very good. Just because little boys are supposed to like planes? Is that the thought process here? No, I mean, the answer is Cars. Because Cars did so well, they were trying to just expand on that idea. Trains? Do we get trains next? I wish. Submarines? If if planes hadn't done so bad, then we probably would have. A bunch of talking modes of transportation. I was going to say horses next. Or boats? What about like a cruise ship movie? Yachts? Yeah. The possibilities here are endless. So let's start with just sort of the overview. The Walt Disney Company used three different private planes during Walt's life. 
The first one that they used from 1963 to 1965 was a Beechcraft Queen Air, which these are just terminology. They probably don't mean anything to you. They didn't really mean anything to me. As the company continued to expand and Walt really liked this private plane mode of transportation, he traded in for an updated or a bigger model, a Beechcraft King Air, which they used from 1965 to 1967. Now, there was a time period where they did have two private planes for the company, and this is where they got the Grumman Gulfstream 1. It was put into service in 1964, and this was like the plane that Walt would normally take. It logged the most miles with him and the executives, and it was like the one. And this one was termed the mouse. Oh, did it have any artwork? Did he find any pictures? There was a picture of Mickey Mouse on the tail. Of the mouse? Yes. Okay. And the mouse is the same plane that's in question that's in Walt Disney World that that sparked this whole idea, the one that's sitting on property. So it would be recognizable because there's a Mickey on it. Correct. So the FAA, of course, they give uh, tail numbers to every flying aircraft, and they gave all of these plans the same designation. The letter N, which denotes that this is a plane, it's like helicopters or other things would also get things. Then uh, the sequence of numbers, in this case, it's two, three, four. And then MM at the end, the FAA gave them short for Mickey Mouse. So if we could buy a private plane, what would you want our special thing? Obviously, it wouldn't be MM for Mickey Mouse, but what would it be? Can you have three letters? Can, you, can it be DTN? Oh, the that's Neverland? the obvious one. I was going to say like an LLM for mm. Louie, Loki, and Minnie. Oh, could be. I mean, our life does revolve around our pets. It so really I guess does. that would make sense. But when the pilots were calling into their destinations, they have to use the proper form of identification when they approach the airport. And so, so they would say 234. Those are the numbers that we talked about. Metro, Metro, which is... I can't remember what the name of that alphabet is called, but like the the names that they use for letters. But over time, they kind of switch it up and they would say, uh, plane 234, Mickey Mouse. And it didn't take long until the FAA controllers that were accepting and, and letting these plans take off routinely started calling the planes just Mickey Mouse. And then eventually, they just shortened it to the mouse. Oh, that's adorable. So are they talking, obviously all planes have their own letters and everything. They're just talking about this plane, right? So if there was like a Delta flight with an M, they don't call that like MM. They would still say Metro Metro. Correct. Yeah, this was just like a short little thing that, that they were able to do. Just because many times they were flying out of these executive airports, like very small. So the controllers probably knew this is Walt Disney on this plane. So that's how they were able to kind of just give it a little nickname. Yeah, like Metro Metro is still the The proper name for it. I was hoping you were going to say that everyone now says Mickey Mouse instead of Metro Metro or something. I I guess that would be cool. It would be cool. But how... Can you imagine what it would feel like to know that Walt Disney is flying into your airport? I mean, yes, but at the same time, if you're running an executive airport, you probably get all kinds of, you know, elite clientele. So I know, but like Walt Disney. I mean, it'd be cool to you and I, but I don't know <laughs> if if that would be cool to every person. Hopefully. Okay. So what other person would you get super excited about? If they said, or give me like three people. Who would be your top three people? I mean, they'd probably all be sports figures in my mind. Well, who are they? Uh, probably like Pecorine, <laughs> <laughs> um, Brett Favre, and Eddie George. Okay, those are solid. We currently have an Eddie George flag hanging up in our garage. So there's that. It motivates me while I'm working out. Yes. Be like Eddie. Mine would be Taylor Swift. Oh, my gosh. Britney Spears. So just all pop stars. Yeah. I can't think of a third one, though. 
Elizabeth Olsen. <gasps> yeah. So the mouse is the plane that they used most often when Walt was coming to Orlando to look over the Walt Disney World construction. But even before that, when he was trying to scout out where he was going to build this. And so the mouse's most common flight that it would take was between Burbank and Orlando. Sometimes they would actually fly into Tampa as well. And because they like the hotels in Tampa more than they did in Orlando at the time. But Burbank, that airport, which is now the Bob Hope Airport, Executive Airport, and I think it might be just commonly known as the Burbank Executive Airport, but it was right behind the WDI office. So it was quick and easy. That's where the mouse was stored and in a hangar there. So like that's just where they typically would go in and out of. Were you able to see how many miles or how many trips back and forth it made with Walt? I did see some exact numbers when it was retired. And let me see if I can pull that up real quick because it logged a lot, a lot of miles. By 1978, after 14 and a half years of service, so of course, this now that's past Walt's life, mm-hmm. the plane had logged 4.3 million miles, 12,300 hours in the air, and 5,960 flights. The longest flight was from Burbank to Portland, Maine at 2,700 miles, and the plane's maximum time in the air was 8 hours and 33 minutes. Wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive. One quick little note that kind of goes along with that is that a lot of times, well, almost every time, because they were going with the wind coming from Burbank to Central Florida, they would get there with no stops. It would just be a nonstop flight, No problems at all. But because going back west, they were going against the wind, a lot of times they would have to stop and refuel somewhere, you know, Texas, New Mexico, Phoenix, somewhere along the way they'd have to stop. But the commercial airlines didn't have that problem. So sometimes the executives didn't want to stop, so they would just take a commercial airline back. But that was pretty rare. Yeah, I think I would always prefer to ride in the mouse. With Walt. With Walt, yeah. Just to kind of go along with that same thought process about how many miles that it did is that for some period of time, it was the most used executive aircraft in the country. Oh, I mean, I have to imagine just in the planning stages and scouting things out. And obviously, Walt was very hands on. You know, he made lots of trips and he wanted to see everything and he was probably super excited about it. I mean, I can only imagine how many times he had to fly back and forth. And then it wasn't just him using the plane, right? I mean, other Disney executives would use it. Probably Roy, making sure no one was spending too much money. Yeah, I do have a story about Roy later on to talk about for this. But Walt was kind of known that he would use any excuse to take the plane. (laughs) So, like, there's stories about that he would even take it from like Burbank to San Diego or like Burbank to Santa Monica, which my geography in Southern California is not great. I don't know how far away that is, but it would be like grab lunch. He would fly to the, another executive airport just because he could. And because he thought it was efficient. I mean, it would be efficient. So we're going to kind of, let's deviate from the timeline for just a second. Let's talk about this airplane and kind of how it ended up at Walt Disney world. And then I want to go back and tell some interesting stories about the mouse throughout the years. But this plane obviously ended up at Walt Disney world. And that's because it was retired in 1992 and they decided that they wanted to put it in this brand new park that they had just opened called Disney's Hollywood studios. And so they, gutted it, and they put it on display in the backlot tour. So do you remember seeing it there at any point? I really wish I did, but I I don't. I'm assuming it was back in that back part of it where you had, where you went through, not through, but you went by the water tower Yeah, in that open area. Because they had quite a few things back there. It was the water tower, this plane apparently, can you think of anything else that was out there? Herbie the Love Bug. I don't remember that either. And I liked that movie. 
Not the original, but the one with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, yeah. You're that was a good one. You're the only person in the world who liked that one more. Oh, no. We're about to take a poll. That was a great movie. But, of course, we know the fate of Backlot Tour eventually. And according to the cast members at the time, when the Hollywood Studios expansion was approved for Toy Story Land and eventually for Galaxy's Edge, and Backlot Tour got its closing date and they knew they were going to shut it down, there was a short period of time where Backlot Tour closed and some of the other areas back there in that Streets of America were still open. They actually moved the plane forward and it was over near the Lights Motors action. So you could have seen it without riding on the attraction. I still feel like that doesn't answer the question, though, of why it wasn't covered. I mean, I guess it's a cool thing to be able to put out there because it is a piece of history and it's authentic. It's not necessarily a movie prop. But how cool to be able to say this was Walt's airplane. Do they just not, I don't want to say that they don't care about it as much, but it almost seems like once they gutted it and made it part of this attraction, is that all they view it as now? Is just that it was a random piece of the attraction? Well, so I tried to research a little bit on A, why they gutted it. And apparently it was because it was all like, I mean, it was top of the line stuff that they ordered. So it was real leather and it was carpet and, you know, things that would not hold up to sun exposure or to moisture exposure, especially. And so moisture, they just what we don't have much of that. So they just thought it would be safer to go ahead and gut it. And so it was gutted before it was put on display at Backlot Tour. From there, they did do like routine maintenance on it. They painted it every so often to, you know, make sure that it still looked presentable. But... Other than that, they kind of just left it alone and allowed it to sit there. And so when Backlot Tour closed, they needed a place to put it, and they devised this plan that they were going to relocate it to the Glendale Airport, that same executive airport that was right behind WDI. They wanted it to display it out there because they thought it was significant to their history. But then it came to the question of, okay, this thing hasn't, flown from 1978 to 1992 and it's not in service anymore it doesn't have an interior anymore so obviously like flying it was out of the question Mm -hmm. so they said we've got to ship it you know on a truck across the united states and nobody wanted to foot the bill so disney didn't want to pay for it and the glendale airport didn't want to pay for it so they were kind of at a loss for where they were going to put it. So Disney's next option, supposedly, again, this this gets into the area where it's kind of rumor. It's a he said, she said type of thing. Disney offered it to the Florida Air Museum, which I didn't actually know where this was. It's in Lakeland. So I think we've actually driven by it. I think it's right on the interstate. And we've driven by it driving through Lakeland, Florida. And for some reason or another, it basically comes down to that didn't happen either. So Disney really didn't know what else to do with it. So they just moved it to this backstage area, basically waiting for something to happen. And now it's been 20 years since that's happened. I feel like it's odd. Well, less than 20, but you get the point. That Glendale wanted it, but then weren't willing to pay for it. Was it one of those situations where they felt like they were doing Disney World a favor by taking it? Uh, quite possibly, but the quote that I saw that it was a six figure number to get it shipped across because although you'd have to take it apart, probably. Well, I don't know if you would take it, but it would be something that like takes up all three plus lanes of a highway. Like how do you, yeah, you'd probably have to take it apart and then that runs a huge risk. The other option is to put it on a boat and take it all the way around, but then you still have the problem of getting it from. Orlando to the coast and from Los Angeles or San Diego to the coast. So I I don't know. There's, it was just a logistical thing that they couldn't figure out what to do with it. So it's sitting right now. I guess I'm trying to think of, is there another scenario or just another place in Walt Disney world that it would even fit? Like, could they ever truly repurpose this plane because the only thing that's coming to my mind right now is Goofy Sky School. No, but we don't even have that. So what's the one that we have here? Barnstormer. The Barnstormer. Yes, because it's a plane. But other than that, 
Soren, I mean, they don't need a full-size plane. Well, that kind of leads into the question that I want to pose at the end. So let's put a pin in that question. Okay. And we'll come back to it. The other thing that's kind of on the same mind, and this may be the reason that the Lakeland Air Museum, the Florida Air Museum, did not want it, is because basically to get it up to museum quality, you would have to reconstruct all of the inside. So I guess most people would assume that it needs to have the seats, it needs to have the leather, you know, the cockpit and everything inside of it for it to be worthy of displaying. Now, I would disagree with that. You might disagree with that. Our listeners may disagree with that. But apparently like a museum curator thinks that that would need to happen is at least the opinion that I kind of gathered from reading all this stuff. Now, I would agree with that. I wasn't thinking that until you mentioned it. But if you think about any kind of museum or, you know, there's lots of little aviation museums here and there. And I'm sure they're all fine museums, but they all have their planes kind of sitting out so that you can view them. But I feel like the main, the big ticket attraction things would be the planes inside that maybe you can walk through. Or can you imagine being able to step into the plane. Now, everything would probably be protected. There might be glass or something that you can't muck it up. But how cool would that be to have been able to step into the plane and see like this is how Walt traveled so that not only are you seeing the outside, but then you get the experience of seeing the inside. So that was a discussion that I saw online of people talking about because I haven't been to Graceland in Years and years and years. But apparently at one point in time, and maybe still currently, you could walk through Elvis Presley's uh, private plane at Graceland. They had it there on display, and it was kind of kind of like what you, what you would imagine. They roped it off where basically you walked in one side and walked out the other side. You couldn't sit. You couldn't touch. You couldn't go into the cockpit. But just so you could preserve it, yeah, you could at least see, like, this is where Elvis and, and his group would sit and go and... And do everything, and and so, and just like you said, I mean, the interior that those are probably choices that Walt or Lillian would have made just to see, Lillian. just to see what they picked out. I guess in this case, what she picked out. What kind of leather did she want? Was it embroidered? Did it have like Disney on it? What did the carpet look like? I'm sure there's pictures out there, but I do think that would be cool. So we've talked about it being on Walt Disney World property, but I want to pinpoint exactly where it is. And I'm not telling anybody this so you can go find it because you can't. Oh, It is a backstage area. How backstage is backstage? This is exactly why I'm a little hesitant to share. I mean, anybody can find it if you want to. Like I found it on Google Maps today. You saw it? Yeah. And so it's at the Reedy Creek Industrial Complex. So if you're not familiar with that, I'm trying not to triangulate us like personally too much, but we pass this every time we go to Disney. This is a place that you would pass uh, when you run on some of the Run Disney courses. It's is the, it close to the sewer place? Yes, that is the Reedy Creek Industrial Complex. Oh, it's the sewer facility. They keep the plane at the sewer facility? Yes. So there's lots of things back there. If you're a cast member, you may be familiar with that area because that's where Cast Connections building is. It is where the water treatment facility is. So if you ever run a race, I can't remember. There's like a north route and a south route. Obviously, if you did the full marathon, you would run back here. But I know like back in the day when they did Star Wars, I say back in the day. It was literally two years years ago. ago. Um, If you run from, to get you from Magic Kingdom to Animal Kingdom, that's the quickest way to go. It's called Bear Island Road is what takes you back there. It is a restricted road, but that's you would run on that course, but it's basically the road is there, all of the waste treatment plants, and they have like other big buildings that they work on trucks and other things that keep like the services and the utilities going for Walt Disney World. There and then the plane is on the very, very back side of it. So you couldn't see it by any means. What a peculiar place to store a plane. I mean, you would need a lot of room because it's a plane. 
But I would love to know who came up with that idea. Whose decision was that? And then how many people had to be like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's put it there. I mean, I guess it's out of the way maybe. And you'd probably don't want a bunch of people looking at it. You definitely don't want someone to see it and vandalize it or something. Hoodlums. Well, and I think it just goes a lot into that it's a area with a lot of space. Like you mentioned, they have, they're, it's pretty wide open back there, just kind of wilderness between. So if you, if you think about how this stacks up, Magic Kingdom is the n- most north park in Walt Disney World. Animal Kingdom is, you know, Epcot's kind of directly due south of it, but Animal Kingdom is just kind of southwest of it. But there's just no direct road that will take you there be- besides this this cast member or backstage only road, the Bear Island Road. So I think maybe they like that, that it's not something where a lot of people can drive back there. I do think it is weird that that's part of the run Disney routes sometimes. Do you think any animals have ever gotten in there? Like, Do you think some raccoons would make their home in there? It's, it's an empty gutted plane under a tarp. We all know how many little critters and animals there are in Florida. I feel like, again, that's quite dangerous. Could be. And maybe that's why they put up the tarp over it. It has in the past been uncovered. It's a tarp, though. I know. But if it's like, you know, bungee down or bolted down, then it might be able to do a good job. And I think that was the whole point, going back to this original post, of saying the tarp has come off in some way, like the tail is exposed. If you're trying to keep it covered, it's not. How did they get the picture? Are you going to tell us that? That's what I told you. I think he's a pilot or something. Oh, you think he just flew over and saw it? Yeah. Oh, okay. What I missed you- that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where he got the picture, where they got the picture. If you want to follow him, like I said, it's, uh, again, I say he, I apologize. The user is BioReconstruct. They post a lot of aerial photography. Like they just posted that there's some movement or things changing at Typhoon Lagoon. So a lot of suspect that maybe it's starting to work. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, then that's the account for you. I have a way, Brendan, that we can see it. How? The $35 helicopter tours. I mean, possibly. I mean, I bet it. I bet you certainly could. I thought you were going to say the hot air balloons that are in that area sometimes. Do they go over Disney? I don't think officially, but they're kind of close to that area. They do get close. So that's just where it is on Walt Disney World property. The next thing that I wanted to dive into was more of Walt's interest in flying. A lot of times when we talk about Walt's love of transportation, we automatically think trains. And I do think trains were probably the biggest passion that he had. But planes and aviation actually played a pretty big role in his life as well. I kind of mentioned that he used kind of any excuse to take the private planes out along the way. But I think you can even see this in his work. You, We've seen this in the past. We talked about his love of polo, his love of trains. A lot of times his expression to get things out and his creative mind is an expression of the things that he loved. And I think a lot of times we always think about Steamboat Willie being Mickey's first appearance, but it's actually not his first Mickey's first appearance is in plain crazy. Now it didn't do very well and they actually pulled it because it didn't do very well off the bat, but it is a story about Mickey building this homemade aircraft and he takes it to the skies with Minnie and, you know, she is not very pleased with how he's flying it and the construction of it and everything like that. You can actually find Plane Crazy on YouTube if you haven't watched it. You can find it? Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it. So Steamboat Willie is kind of attributed because it's the first theatrical re- release with Mickey Mouse. But Plane Crazy was the first time that he ever showed up. And he looks kind of crazy. In was it. there sound with that one? There was, but it wasn't, I'm trying to think of all the terminology. It, how do they say it? Like, it's not the synchronized sound? Or I wonder if that's what makes Steamboat Willie kind of in its own category too then. I think that's fair. But even in this short, like there's references to Lindbergh and 
you know, all these, the whole thing is aviation based. And that kind of goes back to that Walt was interested in this form of transportation as well. That is a pretty unknown fact. So now I want to share, and these are not chronological by any means, but just like different interesting stories that I could find involving the mouse or with Walt Disney and aviation over the years. So I'm just going to kind of share them and we'll share them in short spurts. They don't all go together is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So one of the most interesting ones that I found was happening in November of 1963. Now, I don't know if you're, you haven't taught U.S. history, but I know you are interested in this specific event. Walt was actually mid-flight over Florida in the mouse when President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. Oh, did that change anything? Like, did they ground his flight? Or do you think you just kind of keep on keeping on? So a lot of this comes from, I need to attribute the author for this. This comes from Jim Corcus, wrote this article for mouseplanet.com, if you want to read it. But that's where a lot of this information comes from. If you want to read it yourself, it's fascinating. A lot of this information comes from there. But essentially, on November 21st, so the day before the assassination, Walt and some of the other executives checked into a hotel in Tampa. Like I mentioned before, a lot of times they would stay in Tampa on these um, trips under false names. We've talked about this in the past in order to not alert the media or the press that they were scouting out this area in Florida. So they checked in on the 21st, got settled, and then on that same day, they got in a car and drove to Central Florida to scout out some possible areas. So first they went to Ocala, Florida, which we've been familiar with. And the other place that they visited, I did not know this, was this Citrus Tower in Claremont, Florida, which we have been to before. Wow. They I mean, that's of, cool. They have one of our favorite coffee shops there. Oh, it's so good. They have this amazing, I mean, it's an orange flavored coffee. And you wouldn't think that that's very good, but it has this kind of foam stuff on the top. And oh, it's delightful. By foam stuff, you mean whipped cream. Is it whipped cream? <laughs> yeah. It's like, an, it doesn't look like whipped cream though. It's orange and it's homemade and it's super fluffy. I think we might be remembering it differently. Maybe. I, we both think of it fondly, though. That's all that matters. It's an orange cream latte. It's yeah. great. Correct. So that's what happened on the 21st, the, before, the day before the assassination. On the 22nd, Walt and the executives took the plane, the mouse, all over Central Florida and even up and down the coast as well. So Walt was toying with the idea of he didn't know if... Maybe he should build this next location on a beach or on the coast. He ultimately decided that he thought it was too big of a distraction, that people would be wanting to go to the beach so much that they wouldn't spend as much time in the parks. And it was ultimately this new interstate that they were building, this new fascinating interstate that would connect the east and the west coast of Florida called Interstate 4 that convinced Walt that this area just southwest of Orlando would be the perfect spot just right off of I-4. Both a, both a blessing and a curse nowadays. I mean, I have to say, that's very forward-thinking. I mean, props to him. And even with just not putting it next to the ocean, I would also have to think, you know, hurricanes. I don't know if that ever popped up. I'm sure it did. I'm sure he had people helping him out with that. But... I mean, I'd say they kind of knocked the location out of the park. It's flat, which is something that you want. Claremont has quite a few hills. It's kind of known for having some hills, I feel like. I don't know much about Ocala, that area. Yeah. That's farther north, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, the I-4. I don't Only think they were actually knew. looking at Claremont as a location. They just visited there because of the Citrus Tower. Oh, you made it sound like it was a scouting thing. No, it was just like... That was just for fun. Yeah, and it was noted that the Citrus Tower was like the prominent visitor thing to do in Central Florida during this time period. Oh. Which is crazy. 
But it also, I mean, yeah, I see it. Walt needs a, a little vacation too, a little fun. So this kind of gets into, you know, what is, what is just an enhancement to the story and what is actually true. It's kind of like the Griffith Park story about this is the day that he decided to build a park. Now, I hate to burst anybody's bubble. He didn't actually decide sitting on that bench in Griffith Park. But the story goes, at least the public story goes, that it was on this day, on Assassination Day, when they were flying over Central Florida. That's the same day that he decided that this would be the place. So November 22nd, 1963 is when he decided that this is where he was going to put it. So but the, the two things didn't go together. It's not like the assassination happened and he was like, oh my gosh, life is short. Like, let's do it. No, you know, it, was it wasn't like that. Okay. It just kind of adds more oomph to this day of it being a very significant day is what I'm saying. So they landed around 6 p.m. back in Tampa. They carred back to their hotel. And when they got there, they saw all these people huddled around their radios and the television, lots of people crying and weeping. And that is when they learned of JFK's assassination. So they spent the whole day just kind of going about their business, and they didn't learn until much later that something horrible had actually happened. Yeah, no cell phones. There's no Twitter. No one there to let him know. So that's the first story that I have about the mouse. Next one was that they also used this plane to fly Disney characters on what they called Goodwill Tours, and they would visit children's hospitals around the United States. And they would also take passengers along the way. It was estimated that 83,000 passengers flew on the mouse, including Disney personnel and a lot of celebrities as well. President Richard Nixon, President Jimmy Carter, and President Ronald Reagan all flew on the mouse, as well as a few Disney legends. Can you guess your favorite? <gasps> Julie Andrews? Yes. Wow. Julie Andrews flew on the mouse and Annette Funicello, among many, many others. So when we're talking about passengers, I mean, we truly are just talking about random people, so not, because you mentioned the Goodwill Tours, so the characters are going around. We're not talking about, like, he took kids on... Like joy rides around, right? I couldn't really figure out exactly how it was, but it were they were like common people. Like they weren't all like business passengers or anything. There was also something about that Walt actually made up these little postcards that were a picture, like a painting of the interior of the plane, and everybody who rode on it, he would pass them out to them. It was like a memento that you got to ride on the mouse. I bet you can buy one of those. Not cheap. Probably. Another story came from the pilot, one of the pilots. Uh, There were four in total, so two pilots and two co-pilots, and they would kind of rotate through because Walt was flying so often. A lot. They weren't available all the time. And this is a quote from Chuck Malone, who was one of the pilots. And he said, Walt wanted to fly so bad. And although Walt never acquired a pilot's license, he often took over the plane's controls. Chuck went on to say that he felt confident that if he had become incapacitated and couldn't fly the plane, Walt could have successfully landed it back on the ground for him. Oh, my gosh. It was one of those things probably where he's just like a little kid. He wants to look at everything and touch the buttons, and he just watched them so many times. Yeah, and so this sparked a couple of things. There were, a lot, there were kind of three parties at Play Gear who hated him doing this. First was Lillian. She hated it. Oh, yeah, that would be a big a big no from me. So you can imagine she finally convinced him to stop playing polo, and then he takes up, you know, being an amateur pilot. Uh-huh. Second was Roy, because he Same saw thing. how valuable he was to the company, and obviously it's his brother. And then the third was the company's insurance company. And Walt had a very <laughs> funny quote whenever he's – Whenever they talked to him about this, he said the co-pilot seat is the best seat in the airplane. And if they don't like it, they as in the insurance company, I'll just get myself another insurance company. Oof. That's that's where it's like, I know I'm a big deal. I know you want my business. Suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. So I thought that was fun. Uh, and I mentioned that we had kind of a, a little story about Roy as well. 
I didn't know this. Roy served as a navigator during World War One when he served in the Navy. And kind of what I mentioned before, Roy was never a big fan of the private plane and especially of Walt being so hands-on with the private plane. He would just prefer to fly commercial and, and not deal with it. However, eventually Walt kind of convinced him and the way that Walt got him on board with the idea of this private plane being so great for the company is that Walt let him like play navigator for them while they were flying. And that like got Roy very invested. And there was even stories about sometimes uh, Walt could even convince Roy to take over the controls for just a few minutes. So it's, it really is like, this seems like Walt was so much in his element and the last story kind of hits that same idea home. So there's a book called Walt Disney and American Original by Bob Thomas. And one of the quotes out of there, he said, Walt took delight in planning each trip, plotting the itinerary on maps in his office over his evening scotch. When passengers arrived at the plane's home base at the Lockheed Airport, that's the same one in Burbank. It's had many different names. He loaded their luggage for them. <laughs> and during the flight, he served the drinks and supervised the galley. So he was pilot, he was flight attendant, he was entertainer. Like he did it all just because he loved this experience so much. Oh my goodness. Can you even imagine telling Walt Disney what kind of drink you want? Hold up. Right now it's like, hold up your fingers. One, two, three. That's funny. I can imagine it'd be like, you know, he says what they have and he's like, we got scotch. We've got scotch. We've also got more scotch. Coffee. Coffee. I bet they had some coffee. Well, yeah, you could probably drink a coffee cocktail with scotch. <laughs> we got cigarettes and probably cigars as well. But isn't Man. that cool? That is cool. I mean, and it, I think it very much goes with, you know, his personality and everything else that we knew about him. Just that when he was excited about something or passionate about whatever it might be, that he was really all in. And it sounds like the same thing. He was interested in flying. He was all about it. But then he kind of took the extra step to do everything and be everything and make sure he understood how it all worked. And whether it was from just a fun standpoint or maybe like a practical standpoint that he just wanted to have his say in everything. But I almost feel like even with Roy, I just feel like Walt even had the personality to just convince you to have a good time or convince you to want to do something. It's some real reverse psychology stuff. Yeah. We've recently in our household been discussing this term hyperfixation. We've kind of determined that I, this is a personality trait that I have. <laughs> uh, and so the idea behind it, if you're not familiar is like you, I get super invested in a hobby. I learn everything there is to know about that hobby. And then I just wake up one day and it's like dead to me. Like I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with it. I move on. And Walt almost seemed like he has that hyperfixation on a lot of things, but he never moves past them. He just like adds them to his repertoire. So he knows everything there is to know about trains. He knows everything there is to know about planes. He knows everything there is to know about animation and theme parks. And Mickey Mouse. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive how he just jumps so far into everything. Mm -hmm. It also makes you wonder how he had a personal life at all. Because he was, he did so much. I guess he just found people to do it all with him. I guess so. So that kind of leads to my last question is, you know, obviously this sitting in a backstage area in Walt Disney World, just north of Magic Kingdom behind a poop plant is not the best <laughs> scenario for this plane. It has a lot of significance to Walt Disney Live, to aviation, and also to the Walt Disney Company. So I have a couple of ideas of where I would like to see it end up. Of course, you know, ideal situation is it gets completely remodeled and, you know, refurbished, I guess is the better word, bringing it back to its original state, giving it a paint job, you know, letting us see it, how Walt and Lillian and Roy would have seen it along the way. My ideal scenarios would be the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. That would obviously be very hard for them to get it there. Next would be in Marceline, Missouri, 
where they have the Disney. I guess it, I can't remember what it's called, but the museum that they have in Marceline at his childhood home. The other, and this is not my original idea, but people have been talking about, you know, now what do you do with this NBA experience space? I don't know how you get it over there. Not, not my problem, I guess, but like <laughs> it seems like Disney world is due for something like that, you know, an extension of the Walt Disney family museum, like a satellite campus or who's been talking about this, sir. I mean, you your very and, smart wife. Yes. Mentioned other, this. Yes. Other people online have as well. So I don't know. I'm just trying not to take like original credit for it. Cause I don't know if we were the first people to think about it. I mean, I'm not the first ever, but the thoughts did come out of, my mouth to your ears. Correct. My brilliant wife. Or, you know, something like a public gallery of the Walt Disney archives where this gets involved with it. I didn't also realize, and I would love to know if somebody could, you know, confirm or deny this. We know about the Walt Disney archives that they have in Glendale. I think Glendale, Glendale, Burbank, somewhere in Southern California. Walt Disney Archives, they have the big warehouses. We saw them on prop culture quite a bit. They are closed to the public. Like, you have to be invited there to be able to go. And then I saw someone say that they actually have a warehouse in Florida as well. But I don't know where it is or what it contains or anything like that. Now, I mean, I know they obviously have buildings where they keep, like, old animatronics and stuff. Like, that's where person stole buzzy a few years ago but i don't think that's actually walt disney archives but anyway all that's to say like i think something in disney springs could be really cool like that or you know a a rotating gallery in the contemporary in one of the ballrooms you know something like that i think would be really cool obviously you couldn't fit a plane into that scenario but i would love to see it reconstructed and really you know put it back to its prime, I guess my only question would be, could they even find the materials that were in that original plane? I don't know if they kept those around, auctioned them off, gave them to family members, sitting in a warehouse. Well, I don't think you would be able to get the originals. I think you would have to like construct it from scratch. I feel like that would almost lose its value. Could be, but I mean, I think if you present it in the way of like, these are not the original seats, because those are probably long destroyed, if I had to guess. Which is, I feel like, so unfortunate. But I think if you pitch it to the idea of saying like, this is what it looked like to them, like the colors are a match, the type of leather is a match, the type of carpet is a match. It's just not the original. Because I think the reason why I would be okay with that. Is because if Walt used this for, you know, multiple years, they probably switched out the carpet and sm- switched out the curtains and, you know, things as it, you know, wasn't up to their standards anymore. I'm learning about you that you are not a true historian. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. But I do completely agree. Like I pointed out to you earlier, I think that there is a huge population of people, maybe not huge, but I do think that there is a audience for a museum about the attractions, about Walt, about the Imagineers. I think there's just a variety of things that they could do in any space, whether it's a, I'm sure there's museums in Orlando that they could have like a Disney section or, you know, maybe like a traveling exhibit exhibition or something, you know, that maybe it goes around the country. And that could even be an organization like D23 could put something that like that together. Mm-hmm. I just, I do think that there's an interest there and, you know, it doesn't even have to be Disney people. I think kids would be interested in it. I don't know, field trips maybe. Cause that's where my mind goes to. I do think that there is potential And it is sad to think that all of that potential is wasted Well, or is being wasted. It even brings up the question of like, it's a shame to think about, but opposed to the current setup where it's sitting in a field with nothing, nobody's seeing it besides, you know, the workers who work back there. Pilots. 
Oh, you're, okay. You're saying <laughs> random bio. guys who fly over people, girls. Correct. Um, you know, would it just be best if they would auction it off? Because someone would buy it, and someone would want to recoup their money, probably. And someone or John Stamos. It. Well, it'll probably be John Stamos. <laughs> but at least then it would be moving in the right direction. I know Disney doesn't like to give up things like that, but it's sitting at a water treatment facility is not the answer. And I can completely agree with that. So I don't know. Obviously they saw the value in it when they put it on backlot tour, but when those plans fell through, it's like, what are you? Even that I, I would be interested in going back and watching a YouTube video to hear even what they said about the plane. You know, what kind of information did they give people about it or did they just kind of point it out and then move right along because it wasn't a huge part of the backlog tour i mean it just sat there like a prop but it's a real life prop yeah it's not just a movie prop that was his plane there's a mickey on there <laughs> i could go on and on i know do you did you look up if the walt disney planes today still have the 234 mm i don't know I didn't look that up. They're probably so secretive about that information. Uh, I guess that could be dangerous if they maybe. I I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I know like uh, plane tracking is a very big hobby. Like, again, I'm going to relate this back to sports. Like when college football coaches are flying in and out of places, that's a big thing that people will watch and say like, oh, there's a plane that flew into Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You know, is Nick Saban going somewhere? Like police radars, like someone just sits at their computer and watches little blips on a screen. Yeah, pretty much. Now that's a bad example because Nick Saban's never going anywhere. I'm just saying, like people watch that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I mean, you could, they definitely have to publish all those flight records. So you could probably figure out, all right, what's going from Burbank or Glendale to Orlando. Okay, that's, you know, Bob Chakepick arrived on this day. He was probably on this flight. Here's the tail number on it. Although we hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just stay in California. Yeah. It's better there. So, yeah. I I don't know. I think it's... This one kind of like... I was super, super invested in learning more about this story. And I'm glad that I did. But it does kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. Just knowing that they're not finding a ton of value in it right now. Or it's not a priority for the historians or just the company in general to make sure that this is preserved the right way. I'm interested now too, in just what other items like misfit artifacts or things that might be floating around out there, because I would have to imagine if there's a whole plane out there just kind of sitting, then maybe there are other just random odds or end things that have a cool story. That could be even a show on Disney Plus, like a history. You know, I know they have the attractions show now, but just like an overall history. Yeah. I would um, also be, the other thing I wanted to point out was that, not that I'm happy, like it would have been better than our current setup, But them shipping it back to Glendale, I don't think was the right answer in the first place, because I do think this plane has more significance to Florida than to California, because like this is what they use to scout out this area. This is, you know, this is the one like this made it all possible. You don't agree? Well, I'm just saying it probably depends on who you ask. We're very biased because we're Walt Disney World people. I think the other two planes are more appropriate for California. But this one in particular, the mouse, I think is. The we'll stake our claim yeah. to the mouse. Yeah. Fair so, enough. Did you like this format? I did. It was fun to just kind of sit back. I felt like I would just, you know, I just got to hear what you said, throw in my two cents every once in a while. But it is fun. Good deal. So let us know at home if you enjoy this new format, if you think this is something that you want us to keep up. I do think 
like I said before, I think it allows us to explore more obscure or specific topics than we could have previously because it's just one person putting together a string of thoughts instead of trying to mesh our two string of thoughts together. Although we will continue to do that. Well, most likely. That format that format is not gone forever. Yeah. So we thank you guys so much for listening. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, leaving us an iTunes review is absolutely the best way to help us grow. And as always, if you are looking to book a Disney land or Disney World vacation or even a universal vacation, reach out to our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations, littlebitofdisney.com, or click the link down in the show notes. She'll get you set up and get that planning process underway. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll chat with you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon. <laughs>